You're listening to Under the Sun Podcast. Get ready for interviews with guests that are experts and enthusiasts in all kinds of fields and topics where we discuss a little bit of everything. Everything? Everything. What about everything? You heard it, folks. Nothing is off limits. If it's under the sun, we're talking about it. And now, the dawn of discourse, the connoisseur of conversation, the chief of chit-chat, your host, Evan Dixon. Okay, we are live. Let's do it. Hello, Mr. Lawrence. Is that how you say your last name? Yes, Lawrence, yeah. Ooh, let's go. How are you, sir? Good to see you. Good to see you, too. I am doing really well. Um, we're getting ready. You know, I'm obviously a runner, so we're getting ready this week to go to regionals um, in Texas, and we leave tomorrow for that. So that's kind of what I've been doing lately. Went on a run this morning. It's been a – the weather's nice, so can't really ask for more right now. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So I know what you do, but tell the people listening what you do. Yeah, so um, I'm currently a runner at Colorado State University. Um, I transferred from the University of Minnesota uh, this spring, actually, so I'm very new to Colorado. I'm very new to CSU. Um, currently in a grad program at CSU, getting my master's in public policy. So my life really consists of education and running, um, also just adjusting to this new state that I'm living in. Fuck yeah, that's awesome. Are you from Minnesota, or how did it come from being at Minnesota then coming to Colorado State? So I'm originally from Montana, and I so got recruited by Minnesota to run and did my whole undergrad there. I graduated in three and a half years. Um, I knew that I, I had extra years of eligibility left because of COVID taking away a season last spring, and so... I made the decision to graduate early from University of Minnesota, and um, it wasn't really an option for me to um, stay there in my mind at Minnesota. I wanted to try something new, get into a new you know, program, uh, start my master's program, um, and then finish out my eligibility as well. So when I went on the portal, uh, I got contacted by Colorado State, and so we just started having conversations and Zoom calls, and I got to meet some of the teammates. Um, and I love Colorado, honestly. I visited before, and it's very similar to Montana, just a little bit more urban, and mm -hmm. there's a more of a liberal pocket here in Colorado. It's a blue state as opposed to being a red state in Montana. Um, I definitely enjoy that. So I've always kind of looked at Colorado as being a state where I've wanted to try to live for a while. So very happy I'm here. Um, very happy with my decision, and I've really enjoyed it so far. Well, that's great. I think you made a great decision too, because I mean, it's pretty here, right? I don't. I mean, I've never been to Minnesota. I just know it's an Arctic tundra, which there's nothing wrong with that. But here, you know, it's a little warmer, and you know, there's not there's not a lot of places in the state where it's like ugly. Like almost everywhere you go, there's something beautiful about it. You know, completely. And yeah, there's nothing wrong with Minnesota. It's definitely freezing cold, yeah. um, and then in the summers it gets very humid and hot. Uh, but lake life is a huge thing out there and the summers are honestly gorgeous. So, but being, you know, coming to Colorado, it's, I mean, you, you can't really get much better than this with the mountains and the wilderness and training at altitude as well. Being a runner, that's like very optimal for training purposes. 
Um, so all around, I mean, Colorado is just a pretty fantastic state. Exactly. Especially for track and field when you're training at altitude. That's a big advantage when you go down to somewhere like, you know, that's 2,500 feet lower or even sea level that's 5,000 feet lower, you know? Completely. Yeah, it's a huge advantage. Um, we had our conference meet actually two weekends ago in California. And so for me, at least training at altitude and then going down to sea level, I mean, I can tell the difference in the way like I recover, the way I breathe, how I feel when I'm running. Um, so it's a really helpful advantage for sure. Yeah, when I went to Western Colorado, I ran track there and the altitude there is 7,700 feet. So at Denver, it's 5,200 feet, which is obviously, you know, mile high above sea level. Everyone knows that. But, it, you know, Western State, that's at Gunnison, and that's 7,700 feet. And, you know, it's a huge difference when you go down to, even when you come down to 5,200 feet, like, you know, it's only 2,000 feet lower, but you can tell, like, you know, your your muscles have a little more oxygen, you're a little less fatigued, you kind of have that you know, you have that extra breath in your lung that you didn't have as opposed to when you're training up there. It's a huge advantage. And a lot of um, even Colgate athletes and uh, even Olympic athletes, they're starting to take, you know, steps into training in high altitudes so they can, you know, put that towards at lower altitudes. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, within the past couple of years, I mean, even I think as long as I've been running and have, you know, gained knowledge about running, I've you know, known of, you know, really good track runners that are in college or even in high school pro athletes who like to go and train in Colorado or in, you know, Arizona and Flagstaff, just areas where they have access to really nice, like, running trails that have soft surface, um, with soft surfaces to train on as well as being at high altitude. So, you know, those places are definitely areas where you'd find a lot of pro runners like thriving because they're great places to train and it gives you such an advantage when it comes to competition so yeah it's crazy right so so walk me through this how did you get to this point how did you even get into running were you did you just run a race when you were little and you're like all right I'm good at this or you know was it something in high school how how did you get here how did it start off yeah so it's Kind of, I mean, it's a complex question um, for me, at least. I used to play soccer. I was a really big soccer player. That was kind of my sport growing up. Um, my mom was a great runner in high school and had thought about running in college, could have ran in college for a Division One university, but decided to just focus on um, academics. And she always told me growing up that I was going to be a runner. I had the frame for a runner. I was tall, long legs, um, skinny as hell. <laughs> And so she was like, you know what, I feel like one day you're going to walk into running and you're just going to really excel. And I, back then I was like, running is such a weird sport. Like who wants to run? And like, it's such a, in my mind, it was such a lame sport. Because well, it's, it's, it's not a happen. typical sport, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's literally a sport where you try to just, you know, you play mind tricks on your mind to run this certain distance in the fastest time possible, you know? It, it is like... Honestly, yeah, and it's a, it's such a mental sport, which I don't know a lot of people who aren't familiar with running or as invested into the running world. It is very mental. Like, you're always trying to push your body to limits that you didn't think you could. Um, but how I got into it, um, honestly, in middle school, I started running track, and I quickly realized that 
it was something that I had a great talent in. Um, so I was trying to do soccer and run at the same time for a while. But once I got into high school, I kind of realized like, okay, um, track and cross country is something that I can excel in. And I also gained a lot of respect from my peers growing up running track and doing well in track. Um, Growing up, I did not have a lot of friends. I was definitely a weird, you know, for your podcast listeners, I don't know if they know, but I am an openly gay man. And um, living in Montana, it was very hard growing up because I was in the closet and didn't have a lot of friends, um, did not have a very high self-esteem. So once I found something like running that I could excel at and beat people at, I was like, okay, like, I got this shit. Like, I'm rocking it. I feel on top of the world when I run. And so... It was something that helped my self-esteem in middle school and in high school. It was something that I could prove to other people, like, you know, almost prove my self-worth a little bit. Um, and it was, it was an, it was a area for me to also gain friends, other people who were really into running and invested in running. Um, I could connect with people on that level, um, just because there weren't really anyone in Mon- there wasn't anyone in Montana that I really knew that was openly gay. Um, so it was definitely, it served as a lot of different things for me growing up. It taught me a lot of lessons. Um, and I'm still learning from the sport today. You know, it's grueling, but it gave, it's given me a lot of great opportunities as well. So kind of a loaded question, kind of a loaded answer as well. Um, but yeah, running has kind of been a huge part of my life for a long time. And it's the reason why I you know, got to Minnesota. It's the reason why I came to Colorado. Um, it's given me some really great opportunities and has taught me a lot of amazing things. And I've gone a lot of cool places as well. That's awesome, man. Good for you. Yeah, I, you know, it's awesome to see you've come such a long way from where you started and now that where you are competing at a D1 level school in Colorado. That's fucking awesome, dude. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it, it, it is cool. Um, I, like, it was unfortunate kind of growing up and being in a state where, you know, at least being in an environment where being, you know, openly gay wasn't widely accepted and it was, you know, I was definitely bullied for the way I was. But it, it was a sport that gave me um, a new meaning, a new, like, hope to, you know, move somewhere else and experience new things, kind of grow as a person. So I really owe a lot to the sport um, for the amount of things that it's given me. Sure. Did this sport help you come out or did you figure that out on your own? So it did not help me come out. I would say that it really helped me find a different sense of self in terms of it gave me more self-confidence and it helped my self-esteem um being good at something and having respect from my peers like I was kind of talking about um but my I mean track and field also led me to having my first relationship in high school Mm -hmm. and through that relationship and through running um I gained the strength and courage to you know, come out to everyone publicly in high school. Um, And by that point, I mean, I don't think it was much of a surprise to a lot of my classmates and a lot of other people that I was gay. But, um, you know, coming out is a very scary process for anyone, no matter how comfortable you are with yourself. And I would I would say that it helped running has helped my self esteem and helped me find myself as a person. Um, But that given me finding my relationship through running, it also, you know, 
definitely helped me be more comfortable with myself and allowed me to come out um, comfortably the way I did. Sweet. That's so cool. Well, that's why I wanted to talk to you because, you know, there's not a lot of LGBTQ representatives in sports. And I would, I'm hoping that we can maybe get to the bottom of it. I don't know if it's, you know, because they're afraid to, you know, LGBTQ people, they're afraid to get into the sport because of, you know, the way of being judged. Because, you know, there's not a lot of them out there representing sports. Or is it just this thing where society's not ready to accept it yet? But what I love about you is that, you know, you, regardless of who you are, you know, gay, straight, or this, you have overcome all these obstacles and now you're running in a D1 sport. That's awesome. And that's, that's, that's what I love about people is when they stride, they do what they love, regardless of who they are. They don't let, you know, societal stereotypes, you know, chain them down to what they're supposed to do. You know, they they do what they love because they want to and they strive because of what they want to do, not because of who they are. It doesn't matter if you're a paraplegic or if you're gay, if you're straight, if you're black, if you're Asian, if you're Mexican, it doesn't matter. You know, sometimes you just got to do what you love regardless of what society's going to say, you know? Completely. And I, I 100% agree with that. And one of, so after I came out um, my senior year of high school to everyone, I was reached out by, I don't know if you've heard of them, but it's SB Nations Out Sports. It's like a um, online news article area for LGBTQ athletes to write their stories or be interviewed about their stories about coming out and that process of being, you know, queer in sports. Um, so I ended up doing one of those articles after I came out. And I think one of the major reasons why I did that and why I chose to go public, like very public with me being gay and in track and field is because I really believe that representation matters. And so for me growing up in Montana, I honestly, I mean, I was being called a fag, queer, like gay, everything before I even knew what those words meant, before I knew what being gay was, before I knew that any of it was okay. I was being called all of these things. And all I knew in my mind was like, this is a bad thing and I'm being ostracized for it and I'm being excluded for it. And so I had no one to turn to growing up, no queer figure, um, growing up to look at and be like, Oh, like, I see this person in athletics or I see this person, um, you know, on the TV screen and being like, oh, I can be that person and I can be openly gay and I can be successful and I can be a runner. I can be whoever I want to be. So that's the reason why I went like public about it was because there are so few openly gay people in Montana, at least even within sports, like let alone sports in Montana in general. Um, so I knew, like, you know, I do know that there are gay people in Montana. It's just, it's like you said, it's, you know, sometimes in the social climate that you're in, in the state you're in, in the town you're in, it's not okay or it's not um, welcomed. And I really wanted to write that story and have it be as public as possible and to reach as many people in Montana as possible because I wanted to let everyone know, like, hey, like, I'm openly gay and I'm competing in Montana. I'm from Montana. Um, I want these people who know me in Montana to see me and know that like I'm proud of myself and I'm proud of who I am and that it, it for anyone else who is LGBTQ in Montana that it's it's okay to be openly gay and it's okay to compete in sports and you can do it and I want to be that visual representation of that 
while I also recognize that sometimes people have different situations in their life or different circumstances to why like it could be unsafe for them to come out. I just want, you know, people in Montana to see that like they have a representative and they have someone who is openly queer um, that they can look at and look up to. I definitely wanted to be that person for someone in Montana because I didn't have that growing up. Well, I love that because I guarantee there's a lot of people out there that because, you know, going back to what I said, there's just not a lot of, you know, LGBTQ representatives in sports. Like there's straight people that, you know, are LGBTQ activists, but there's not actually like gay, straight, bi, queer, whatever it is that are actually in sports. It's such a rare thing. And it's, it's something that I struggle to understand. And I, I don't know if it's because they're afraid because of maybe of you know, toxic masculinity, or if it's not widely accepted by society yet, or they're just afraid to show their talents. But I think with you, you, you're seriously like this platform for so many, you know, LGBTQ people out there. And I think it's, I just think, you know, more people should look to that and, you know, see, it doesn't matter who you are, you know, you, I mean, think about this, you're faster than most of all these other people and you're still gay, you know, but you're still this normal person. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah, you're right. It's, um, I, you know, I have a, I don't, I'm not going to say like I'm famous or anything, but you know, in Montana, I was a really great runner that came out of the state of Montana. And, you know, I knew a lot of people in Montana kind of knew who I was through athletics, through what I was doing. Um, but you know, I just like, I just wanted to be that person for whoever needed, like whoever needs to hear my story. I want them to hear it, listen about, listen to it. Um, and you know, think they can think to themselves like, okay, he did it in Montana as a closeted queer kid. You know, he made it through high school. He found something he was passionate in and he worked really hard to, you know, hone that craft and then use it as a, way to get myself somewhere else where I found even more love and acceptance, um, for my queerness and for my person that I am. Um, but, you know, going back to something that you had mentioned about like toxic masculinity and, you know, why don't we see more queer people in sports? That is like a very interesting question. And I think it's a very complex question. Um, you know, obviously comparing just, populations to populations there are a lot less you know lgbtq people who identify as lgbtq um as opposed to the entire population but i think it's even smaller obviously like you were saying within sports and i do think that it has a lot to do with toxic masculinity and sometimes sports is just an area for lgbtq kids that is like unsafe and it's an air and it's a space where a lot of times lgbtq individuals get bullied for you know either being for boys who are being too femme or, you know, maybe women even getting ostracized for being too masculine or people getting ostracized for, you know, just their identities. And we're seeing right now a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, conservative states who are trying to push a lot of anti-LGBTQ legislation, especially when it comes to trans folks in sports. And so a lot of that, like crazy um you know just a lot of that animosity that's our like kind of conflict that's happening around that and all these kind of hard conversations that we're all having it's not really leading 
um, to a space where LGBTQ kids feel comfortable in sports. Like, you know, we need to have more positive stories and positive um, conversations about it. And we need to also honestly address that, you know, toxic masculinity is an issue and we need to be advocating for trans rights and LGBTQ rights um, because it's just unacceptable that people should like aren't allowed to compete because of their identity like it's just ridiculous to me well there's definitely something in the toxic masculinity thing especially with more of those you know male sports like football do you know who michael sam is can you remind i don't the name does not ring a bell right now but i might know who it is yeah so he was a former nfl player who was drafted in 2015 i want to say by the st louis rams and he was the first openly gay football player in sports all of, like all of football ever okay. not, not all of sports but like all of nfl football right and you know it just his career didn't last long cuz he was jumping around from team to team cuz there was just this um environment of just uncomfortable because it's not like there's any girls in that sport that's a you know a guy hits guy sport you know you're tackling people and you know you're you're passing the football it's the most like you know testosterone sport you can get you know um yes i mean it's a very i i'm not like the biggest fan of football but i do know what you're saying um and I do think, though, that there is, you know, I I would assume that there are, I mean, I know for a fact that there are LGBTQ football players out there. I've seen and know of a couple just through social media. Um, but I would say that, you know, within football, with like around the culture of football, there is a lot of toxic masculinity. And if toxic masculinity keeps perpetuating itself within, you know, football, which is probably one of the biggest or one of the biggest sports especially in the u.s in terms of like fans and just um media and everything if you know we keep allowing for spaces to be to have toxic masculinity um i don't know if we're going to see much improvement in terms of you know folks in the nfl or folks who play football coming out because they don't want to because they feel unsafe if they do or they feel like they'll be you know outcasted if they do um But, you know, when I was at Minnesota, I started a LGBTQ support and advocacy group where we really tried to address those issues, especially within our, like, our sports programs. And one of them, before I had left there, um, one of the programs I really wanted to address was football because I had heard a lot of, you know, issues around toxic masculinity happening within that football program and something that I wanted to for them, for everyone in the, you know, whole University of Minnesota Athletic Department, um, I wanted for everyone to, like, go through some, like, LGBTQ training or, like, leading certain discussions on LGBTQ topics and issue areas and also address, you know, toxic masculinity because I think toxic masculinity is just, you know, it, it needs to be out of sports and it's, I mean, for me, it's not welcomed um, within sport. I feel like it's just such a, it's very toxic, you know. Well, I agree, but it's definitely something that society's just not ready for, at least in the big sport of football, because one of the reasons why Michael Sam's career didn't last long, it was only like a two-year-long career, and he quit because of mental health reasons. And I'm, you know, you can definitely put a direct correlation of that with football, you know? And it's, 
I think I think track is one of the great sports where I think we society and sports is ready for that because it's not just a male or female sport. It's a combined, it's multi-gendered sport, right? And I've had, when I was up at Western, there was there were these two um, lesbian girls who were dating. And they, they were the coolest, nicest p- people I've ever ever met. And for, I think with some people who don't like understand gay people or maybe they're homophobic, I maybe it's just because they haven't interacted with them before. Because I I don't know I have a gay aunt and I've had you know a couple of gay friends on the track team I have never met like a a mean gay person they are they are the coolest they're the nicest motherfuckers I've ever met my aunt who's been out for like twenty years she's the coolest motherfucker I've ever met she is just great I mean I've never I don't understand this whole homophobic you know e- even in the red states like this is something that I want to bring up like. I technically identify as Republican. I'm more of a hybrid, but I guess I have to identify with one side. So, but I'm more of a hybrid. But even then, I don't get this whole, you know, homophobic movement. Like, who cares if, you know, two guys or two girls are getting married? How does that affect you at all? It, 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 which it just doesn't. I don't. And I'm, I'm religious, too. I identify as Christian. I've been going to church every Sunday since October. And even from the religious aspect, I don't get it. There's nothing in the Bible. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, put my hand over my heart and say I know every verse in the Bible, but I have not found anything that's, you know, say that it's not okay to be gay. There's this there's this one verse, Leviticus 18, like 22, where it said a man shall not lie with a boy, but that's more about pedophilia. That's not about being gay at all. So I don't, I don't know. Ever since growing up, I've just, you know, been taught like, you know, it's weird and it's not okay. And then over the recent years, I'm like, I don't understand it. I think maybe it's because it's such a new thing that it wasn't widely accepted like many hundreds of years ago, which is why I still think there is homophobia. But tell me if I'm like, maybe there's a different opinion. I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah, I, um, it's an interesting, I mean, it's very complex. Um, I would like to say though, in preface, like, I should have probably prefaced this earlier. Um, you know, I'm speaking from my own experiences that I've had growing up being openly gay individual that I am now. I, you know, I'm also not the best like public speaker. So some of the things I might be saying are not as quite, quite as elegant or eloquent as I would like them to be. But, um, you know, it's, it's so interesting. And I will also like to say there are bad LGBTQ people out there too. It's like, you know, everyone there, you know, like are mean like angry lgbtq people out there you know not everyone is nice not everyone is um that's true but maybe like i don't know i always love giving people benefit of the doubt because i just love people like i don't think anyone's born bad i don't think you know so yeah of course like i should have said like of course there's going to be like bad or mean or lgbtq people but you don't know their story you don't know if they were abused if they were bullied and, you know, when you have all these homophobic, toxic people just doing that, I think it just adds fuel to those fire for those certain, like, you know, mean LGBTQ people. Right. And it's and it's definitely a, there's like that difference to where, you know, like people who are already making quick snap judgments of someone based off of how they identify or the person that they are, you know, like I can't help. Like if I could go back in time, like not go back in time, but if I could you know, 
maybe if I could go back in time, like to myself when I really, I like for a long time, I hated myself because I didn't want to be gay. And it was a very big struggle for me. And I, you know, back in elementary school and middle school, if somebody had asked me if I could change the way I was, I would have probably said yes, because that's how much I disliked myself back then. Um, and it's not like I didn't choose to grow up and be like, oh, like I want to be gay because I want to have all this trauma and bullying and stuff happening to me. Like that's not a thing. Um, I will say though, what's, you know, through that experience that I had growing up of like, you know, getting bullied or ostracized for being gay, I think it has allowed me to, well, it allowed me to grow up faster and it allowed me to also recognize like, hey, like people are treating me this way and it's over something I can't even control. So it's allowed me to have a perspective in life where, you know, if for anyone from all walks of life, you know, I tried it my hardest not to make snap judgments of people and try to give people the benefit of the doubt, no matter who they are, um, no matter, you know, what kind of background or views you have, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt and hear them out and hear where they come from. Because like you said, I think a lot of things, no matter who you are, happen in your life. And you know, you are the way you are because of every experience that you've had growing up and that has shaped you as a person. So I think you definitely just need to give people the benefit of the doubt in terms of hearing them out, hearing where they come from, getting to know someone before you make a snap judgment of them. Um, you know, obviously there are people out there who I will not give the time of day because they don't want to have an open, honest discussion with me. They just would rather hate me or would rather just be like, oh, you're gay, so I'm going to dismiss you, or, you know, and I don't have to have a conversation with those people, but I will always have a conversation with someone who is open to talking to me, and open to hearing my side of the story, and open to, you know, it being a two-way conversation, because I feel like that's how you make progress um, in life, and as people, like, I don't think there's enough of that happening right now in our country, specifically, us being so politically polarized and you know just so much around media and politics I think we've all become so like hypersensitive but if everyone could just listen a little bit more hear each other out try to really truly understand each other I feel like we wouldn't have as many problems as we do do you think society is doing a good job with helping you know teens that are struggling with their sexuality come to grips with it and you know if they have been outcasted by their family help them with that or no and if it is a no what do you think we could do to make it a little easier transition because i know there's like you know there's like a isn't there like a gay like uh suicide hotline or something like i know that's a step in the right direction but do you think we're doing a good job with how we're handling this or do you think there's a better way to do it? Um, you know, that's a hard question, especially, um, like I have my thoughts and opinions, which a lot of people have their own, but I think... Well, share your thoughts and opinions. That's why you're here. I want right? to hear it. That's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, yeah, I just, I want to say that we're, there are things we're doing right. Um, like, you know, I think mass media and other parts of our country like there are things where like lgbtq people are you know as of right now and we'll probably hopefully keep continuing to 
have more representation in media and in, um, you know, politics and sports, um, on TV. Like, I think we're, we're continuing to see more and more that LGBTQ people are coming out and being proud of who they are as a person and they're getting recognized as well. Um, I mean, passing things like the Equality Act and certain, you know, legislation to protect LGBTQ folks would be a very huge thing and would be very necessary, I think. I just think, you know, having like, you know, a suicide hotline and having, you know, the media being more accepting to LGBTQ people is great, but also like if you're an LGBTQ person who lives in a very rural state in a rural t- rural town, it's like how much access does that person have to those things? Like, how much does this person have access to knowing information or knowing about queer life and queer culture, LGBTQ culture, um, knowing about you know areas in their life where they could grow into becoming, you know, a more realized version of their selves. Like, like me, like I knew I was gay, but I, there was nothing about Billings, Montana that had any sort of like LGBTQ culture or, um, aspects where I could go and, you know, grow into myself and grow, like form my identity. So like, you know, going to college at Minnesota, I, was, you know, I experienced so many amazing things and I met queer people. Like I had gay friends. I had places like our on-campus resources where, you know, there was um, a safety and inclusion space on campus for LGBTQ people. We had queer things going on in the city. You know, we had gay clubs, gay bars. They had pride festivities. Like there was just so much like to access in Minneapolis for LGBTQ people that Billings, Montana just didn't have. So it's a hard question when, you know, you think about it because there are things we can be doing, but right now it seems like, you know, urban areas and more liberal areas are the safest spots for LGBTQ people because they have access to a lot of those great resources um, that, you know, are accepted in these areas. Right. I'm a rational man, so here's my simple solution, which is just so simple but and dumb, but it, it just makes sense. I just think, just let people be them. Like, who cares if, you know, two girls are living together or they're married or, you know, vice versa with two guys? Like, it's not affecting you in any way. And even if it is, like, you know, if you're a parent and, you know, your your kid is struggling with their sexuality, like... I understand it's a hard thing to, you know, see at first when they come out to you, but, you know, I don't understand why we have to, you know, cast all these people out. I just think we live in this, you know, society right now where we're just so busy on canceling people for doing this, for not wearing a mask, for being gay, for being lesbian, for this and that. I just, I think if we just worried if we worried way less about what other fucking people were doing and what you were doing, it would just be, you know, a less homophobic and less racial, racist country, you know? Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's a good point. It, it, you're, you're talking about, like, a mindset that people have, and it's also good to point out, too, like, you know, there's a lot of, we have a really long history of um, 
you know, policies and cultures and mindsets and, you know, institutions um, in America specifically that support or only helped, you know, white cisgender male individuals, you know, and then try these systems were set up to exclude almost everyone else, or at least not allow other people to have access to those things. So you're talking about like a country, you know, where we were built on racism and homophobia and sexism. And now we're seeing obviously with history and social justice movements that, you know, these groups and people and marginalized communities are fighting for their rights. And it's, it's just really hard because you're, you're talking about changing a mindset. And if I could snap my fingers and be like, Hey, everyone should just not give a fuck about who I marry or who I love, because honestly people shouldn't and it's none of their business. But at the same time, it's like, it's not that easy. And I wish it was like, it's, it's so clear and simple in our minds. I feel like that, like, you know, it, people shouldn't care that much about what I have going on and who I love. But, you know, I guess for some people it's really threatening and it's kind of sad, honestly. Right. Well, I think we're moving in the right direction, not fast in the slightest sense. It's very, it's a slow process, but I mean, we're, we're getting there. I mean, you know, 200 years ago, you know, white people were owning slaves and now, you know, we're just moving in that better place of racism. And it's not, it's not like it's been ups and downs, you know, like the George Floyd was a definite down, but I think there has been a little upsides to it, you know? You know what I, I hate mean, to say is that my friend, he brought this up. He's like, well, what if there was like a George Floyd, but just with like a gay person? Like, don't you think that would change it? And I hate to say it, and I absolutely don't hope that happens, but I really do feel like, you know, society just needs this freaking wake up call from this tragedy that would happen, you know? Um, well, honestly, like, I think it's important to know that, I mean, yeah, there is so much more we need to be doing as a country for our queer folks and our people of color and everyone um, within our marginalized communities. And there are people who die every day, you know, from being because of the color of their skin or because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, it's just, you know, what, what happened with George Floyd is, you know, it, it was caught on camera, such a, a such a terrible, terrible act um, of a man getting murdered. And, a while back, um, and I hope the guys don't hate me for this, or the LGBTQ community for not remembering the date, but uh, Matthew Shepard um, was murdered outside of a bar in um, Wyoming, and that was a very big, you know, moment for people to wake up and realize, like, hey, like, we need to do something about, like, homophobia in our country and figure out what we're doing and who we are as a nation because, Stuff like this shouldn't happen. People shouldn't be murdered or killed or excluded from basic human rights just because of something that they like can't help, whether it's your sexual identity, your sexual orientation, the color of your skin, where you come from. You know, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. We absolutely shouldn't have to wait for that, but society shows and, you know, everything shows that we do have to go through this tragedy for something to happen, which just sucks. Also, I want to start a podcast for people listening, you know, maybe they're rationalizing and like, huh, well, I never thought about it this way. I never thought about it that way, you know. I just 
hopefully I just want this platform where I can say like, dude, just love people. Like I love everyone. There's, there's seriously like maybe two people. I don't even like using the word hates. I just think that's such a strong word. There's like probably two people on this entire planet that I hate. And that is like it. Every, I fucking love everybody. I, there's just something, you know, that spark that they have with their personality or their wit. And it's, it's just so crazy to think that there's, you know, over seven point, you know, two billion people on this planet, and none of us are the same in the slightest. And I, I wish I had the time to get to know all of them, just because I just think us as a race, we are just so freaking unique. You know, we're the only species on this planet that can talk with words. You know, we can, we we think something in our brain, and we're able to speak it out. You know, sometimes it's in you know, bad. It's in a bad way, but sometimes, you know, it's expressed through love and, you know, friendship and family. That's just kind of what, like, the environment I want to have with this podcast, you know? I totally agree, and I think, like, two things. Um, first being, you know, whether, I, I had mentioned this earlier, um, I have a lot of, you know, growing up in Montana, going to many, uh, school in Minneapolis, um, I have a lot of friends with different backgrounds, different, you know, views on politics, different identities, um, where I have a lot of interesting conversations. And I think approaching conversations like how we're approaching this one is the most positive way to do it. Because like you said, you can talk to someone and if you're open to really and truly listening to them and understanding them, then you might change your mind on certain things, or at least you might have a better understanding of like, oh, this is how this person thinks. This is like, you know, they've explained to me their experiences. This is how, you know, they've come to being the person they are. And by doing that, I think you can only go into, like, positive directions in your life because, or at least finding positive solutions to problems because you're having a better understanding of what people are going through and um, what they're experiencing. And, you know, I had a professor at University of Minnesota, um, so I was a poli-sci major and it was a course on tolerance in the u.s and our political climate um and i think a lot of people need to have more toleration with each other i think there is just a lot a lack of tolerance specifically in politics and you know and just in general in, in our social settings because um she had mentioned something like if people were politically tolerant and tolerant individuals, you probably, you don't have to like me or you don't have to agree with how I'm living or how other people are living their lives, but you should be tolerant enough to respect them and allow them to have the same access to certain rights that you have. Um, like, cause at the end of the day, it doesn't affect them. You know, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a hard thing to explain for me, but, um, like, you know, who I marry and who I want to marry and, um, like things like that, that pertain to the LGBTQ community, it doesn't affect, you know, Joe Schmo or whatever, my neighbor across the way, it doesn't affect them and they should be tolerant enough to be like, okay, like, yeah, I don't have to have them in my lives. So I don't have to deal with them, but I'll respect them enough to allow them to live their lives and have the same rights that I do. Well, put aside the whole political tolerant thing, because that's just going to be almost impossible for God knows how many years. And that's so negative to say, but come on, that's so true. But 
I love how you said, like, you know, if we are just more tolerant individuals towards people. I fucking love that. I'm going to start saying that more because that's so fucking true, right? Because we're so not, we're so not tolerant at all. We are so quick to judge. We do it like, I mean, I'll get to in person in a second, but let's just talk about social media, you know? We're so, like, quick to judge. I'm like, oh, like, this person doesn't have enough followers. I probably won't talk to them. Or, you know, maybe their caption wasn't funny. Or maybe, like, you know... You know, they, they did something silly in their pictures and they were just so quick to judge, especially with people. I, I, I know I don't get into Twitter, but I heard Twitter is just a minefield usually just because people are, you know, just getting into freaking riots on Twitter. Thank God I'm not into that. But let's go to, you know, tolerant in person. You know, we're so quick to judge. We take one look at one person. And if there's something that's so imperfect about someone, we're already like quick to judge, you know, like maybe this person has like, you know, a big nose, like, oh, not going to talk to, not going to talk to her. Or maybe this guy has huge ears, not going to talk to him. Or, may, or may, maybe their hair is like, you know, just not fashionable or like fashion period with, you know, with people with stuff that people wear, like maybe, you know, their fashion just, it's just kind of odd. And you're like, oh, never mind. Or maybe it's just something that you don't like, you know? We're so quick to judge. We find, and it seriously takes like a snap of a finger. It only takes that much to look at one person like, oh, I'm not going to go talk to you like at a party or something, you know? It's crazy. It, it is pretty wild. Um, and, I mean, it's it's not okay. And obviously this, you know, there's those physical appearances and, you know, there's even, you know, people probably, I mean, I'm sure there's a handful of people, not a handful, a lot of people that don't want to talk to me because I'm gay or whatever. And, sure. You know, I, it's, you know, I, and I don't think twice about that, honestly. Like I, right now I have a lot, a great support system with my friends and my family and people who love me and want to see me succeed. And, you know, I've been, you know, um, I, I just, I haven't received in recent years a lot of hate or bullying like I did, um, growing up, which has been really nice. Um, but I also think it's, you know, me, I'm not feeding into the negativity or the negative, um, opinions that people might have about me. Um, I am here as someone who will be supportive of people who are trying to understand me and who are trying to learn from me. And I like having conversations, especially like ones like these where we're talking about things that are definitely difficult to talk about, you know? Um, but I think there are very important conversations that need to be had and, um, I like having them too. So, yeah, they're awesome. I really, I love positive feedback. I do. But when someone insults me, there's like that negative feedback. Oh, I thrive off that, man. I really do. I, I love it when someone insults me because it just, it just gives me that power to, you know, do whatever they're doing more, you know, like I've been insulted about, um, I was insulted on, like, not knowing on, like, not how to catch a football or something, like, years ago, you know? So that just gave me more motivation. Like, I was just working on the field, you know? I was kind of hoping people were going to do that with my podcast, too, which I'm not complaining, but I have not gotten one negative thing about my podcast yet, and I'm kind of sad about it. I'm like, can someone, like, insult me so I can just, like, you know, I can, like, ramp up what I'm doing and make it even better you know I've gotten all positive comments which is great I'm so not complaining and I love everyone that's listening and they give me positive feedback that's great I was just hoping there was going to be some asshole out there that was gonna you know say your podcast is dumb I'll never fucking listen to it I don't know I I really thrive off of negative feedback I do like I, you know 
you push me down and I get back up like two times faster, you know? Well, and I mean, there's something to be like, I think that's a positive response that you're having. Like you're taking the negativity and trying to create something more positive out of it in terms of like, you know, whether it's to learn how to catch a football or make a podcast, whatever you're trying to do, like that pushes you to be better. Um, and for me, like, you know, growing up and running, like I, I didn't have like, people weren't like critiquing me for running or whatever. They're critiquing me for being the weird queer kid that I was. And so like, it pushed me growing up to be successful in a sport that I could gain respect in. So like, I definitely recognize what you're saying when you say that, um, the negativity that I'm really not here for that doesn't, I mean, it's tough because you, you try to let things bounce off of you. And that's, I, I do now. I'm like very good. I have a thick skin now. And, um, that's just years of, you know, taking some hate, but, uh, I think it's tough for some people, you know, when you, when people are attacking you for your identity and something that you can't change, it can be hurtful. And, um, sometimes you're left feeling like worthless and as opposed to being like, Oh, I'm inspired to, you know, better myself, depending on what the comments are. Like, you know, you're getting critiqued for a podcast or football, but like if you're, you know, making some of some fun of someone or just giving someone hate because of their skin color or because of the way that they are, um, you know, sometimes you just don't even know where to go and you're just like left kind of feeling helpless because you can't change those things. You can't change it. You can't, I can't better myself for, I can't be a better gay in Montana. You know, I can't, people can tell, critique me, be like, Oh, you're a fag or something. And I'm like, okay, well, it's kind of a funny thing to think about for my mind. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to be the best fag I can be, and I'm going to show you bitches. Uh, now, like, that's not a thing, but, I, I mean, I can go back to Montana now, and I'm, you know, my gay self, and I'm unapologetic for it now, but um, it's something I didn't feel like I could, it wasn't something I felt like I could do um, being young in Montana. I just didn't feel like that was an option. Right. Well, my aunt put it this way, and it's just so funny to look at, because I think it's so true. People that try to insult your sexuality or like, you know, your your body or this and that, it's just they're so they're not even lowball, they're just so cliche and like shallow that it's it's not even an insult. Like she told me like, yeah, 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 people try to call me gay as an insult, but it's just not because that's just telling you like what you are, you know, like, oh you're gay and and you know, they're, ju- they're you're just waiting for an insult because that's not an insult. That's just stating what you are. You know, like what if someone said like, oh, 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 you're a fucking male. Like, okay, and where's the insult like, coming? Well, you know, yeah. <laughs> like if someone said I had a small dick, I'd be like, okay, and where's like where's the insult? I I, I don't I don't see it here. You're just stating a fact, dude. Like I don't I don't see anything there. You know. Yeah. You're like, what about it? What's going on? Yeah, um, for real. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I told like I feel that way now. Like I'm like okay, like if someone calls that, I'm like, like obviously. Like, yeah, yes, like I'm, okay, like and. <laughs> yeah, and like for sure, and I, you know, I I feel that way now. Um, but yeah, growing up, I I all I wanted, you know, all I think anyone wants to do is be loved and accepted for who they are. You know, mm-hmm. no one likes, to, especially when you're growing up, like as a kid. Like, what was I? I think I was being bullied. I was bullied pretty hard for because my voice was high and I think I had some feminine mannerisms. I've been bullied for that since second and third grade. And that was not necessarily, I wasn't being called gay or fag or anything like that back then. But once I got to like fifth and sixth grade, people started, you know, labeling me with those words before I knew what they meant. And 
at that point, you know, I was a shy kid and I was a nice kid, at least in my eyes. I, I only wanted to be accepted and included. Um, and, you know, I like all I knew was being gay was the worst thing ever. And so, like, I, I felt like I had no other, you know, option but to try to hide it. And, you know, because no, there was no one else that was like, oh, being queer is super cool. Like, come be a part of our clique of gays. Like, there wasn't that, you know, it was either conform to what I was supposed to be or not what I was supposed to be, but like what, you know, my classmates and peers wanted me to be or be by myself, you know? Right. Yeah, I can see that. It's, it's definitely, it's definitely still a thing, especially back then. I do feel like, you know, I've said it before. I'll say it. I do feel like we're slowly, you know, gradually getting towards a better, you know, environment for gays and, you know, LGBTQ people. I just, I just think it takes a little while, you know? I mean, yeah, with anything, it takes a lot, you know, it's, it, with any social movement. I mean, nothing comes easy, especially when you're up against a very big and large system of white cisgender males who, for the majority of history, have told people, you know, what box you're going to be in, what place you're going to be in, this is how many rights you're going to have, you're only worth you know two-thirds of a person you you are supposed to stay home and take care of the kids there's no job you know there's no place for you in the workforce um you know it's you're you're going up against something that's so massive and huge i mean i mean just look at all of the presidents we've had in the last i mean since the start of the u.s it's been all you know why it's just gender males besides Barack Obama. So that kind of just tells you, just like things like that tell you, you know, what type of system that marginalized communities are fighting against to just to get a spot at the table to talk to people and be like, hey, like, can you listen to me, hear me out? These are my needs. This is, you know, I want equal rights too. Why are these, you know, why aren't we being afforded our equal rights? Um, Right. And it's those, it's those white men in power. That's what I'm saying. It's just the white men in power. So Right. I cannot believe we've been going for this long. There hasn't been like a single cutout or anything. I'm actually really impressed. And I'm sure for people listening, you figured out by now, you know, we're doing this over Zoom. I was really skeptical about it at first. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't mind doing it. Like if there's no other option, because you live down in Fort Collins, I you weren't willing to come down. I wasn't willing to come down either. So I mean, it's not like it was either of our faults. I just, I you know, I drive for a living, and I just I drive a gas guzzler, and I was like, uh, you know, not more driving. Exactly, yeah. and there hasn't been a single cutout. Like you haven't lagged at all. I'm so because you know when we first tried to do this, it was just a shit show and a half. So. Yeah, we've been all we've been going for almost an hour, and this is like you know been pretty solid, which I'm very thankful for. So, yeah. So what? So so what events do you do? You do? I know you do the 800 meter. Like, do you do any other events, or what do you do? Yeah, so I run the 800 primarily. I guess that's been my best event that I've done well in. It's kind of a weird event because. I'm in a weird niche where like, it's kind of like you're sprinting, but it's also still considered like mid to long distance. Um, it's not really considered long distance, but it's definitely just a mid distance race. And so usually I, especially in college, I just haven't been fast enough to be really competitive in the 400 and my endurance has kind of sucked enough to where I wasn't really successful in the mile. Um, 
But as of lately, with this Colorado State training and through my training at Minnesota, that's helped me also prepared me for this training here. Um, I've become more of a also a fifteen hundred meter runner miler. Um, I've been running cross country now for a couple of years in college, so that's definitely helped with the endurance factor. Uh, but I would say I would label myself as like a fifteen eight hundred meter runner now, so like fifteen hundred eight hundred meters. Have you um, ever tried, tried yeah. any other events? Like, have you tried short distance pole vaulting, jumping? Like, how did you know like the eight hundred was for you? Well, originally. I despise the 800 and want nothing to do with the 800. Um, in middle school, I ran, I think I ran the 400, 4x4, and then I also ran the mile. Um, I didn't want to do the 800 because I thought it was just a brutal event, which it is. And um, I did try, you know, jumping in middle school, but ended up rolling my ankle and just injuring myself. I'm not super athletic. I can just run decently. So any of the other, you know, track and field events that require a little bit more athleticism, that's where I'm going to, you know, not do as well probably. But I, I've always been a, you know, kind of a middle distance to distance runner. I just didn't really realize how good of an 800 meter runner I could be in high school until I tried it for the first time. Um, and then after that, after I've, you know, with running, after I kind of succeed in an area, then I like, I'm like, oh, sick. Like, I'm going to go all in on this area and I want to see how far I can go with it. And that's kind of just been my whole running career has been, you know, I'm doing well. I feel good doing it and I'm being successful. And so why not push myself to see how how like how much more successful I can be and push myself harder and be like, you know, okay, in high school, I was like, I want to go for the state record. Let's push myself. I wanted to break 150 in high school. I wanted to get into these like really cool high school meets. And then I was like, I want to go run in for a D1 university outside of Montana, try something new. And so I was, I've always, you know, pushed myself to try to go to another level um, in running and to just try to better myself in that uh, area and aspect well you won recently like a medal for the 800 right like didn't you win like uh t- t- tell us about that yeah we so like i had mentioned earlier we had our conference meet two weeks ago in clovis california um we're in the mountain west conference so we compete against schools like air force wyoming boise state for those who like don't know the mountain west conference um and so we were in uh, Clovis, California, and I raced the 800, and I won, which was great. What time um, did our, you get? What time? Yeah, what was what what was your time? I so we had a prelim and a final. I ran 150.2, which is definitely not my fastest time, and it's not a time I'm necessarily proud of. But I would say, you know, once you get to the later on in the season, it become races become a lot more tactical and thinking about time kind of goes out the window. You're just like, I'm here to win this race and I'm going to do whatever I can to win it, no matter what time I run. Um, so that's what, you know, I ended up doing and we won as a team as well, which was really exciting. Um, and I'm actually going to be running the 1500 at regionals this week. So I'm not running the 800 at regionals, but I'm running the 15 because I feel like I have a better shot at, you know, moving on, oops, moving on in the uh, NCAA uh, rounds for the 15 than I do in the 800 this year. 
Well, uh, what? So, what place did you get in the eight hundred, like regional wise? Um, I think after scratches and everything, I was. If I were to have raced at regionals, I think I was like thirty seventh. I think, which is not amazing, but um, I haven't. I didn't run my fastest time in the 800 this year. My fastest time in the 800 was from my sophomore year of college, um, where I ran a 148, uh, which would have definitely placed me higher in the regions, but those are just projected, you know, placements. So right now how regionals works in the NCAA is we're going to go to Texas and I have two races and it's kind of like, so imagine it like this, like, uh, everyone knows March Madness, right? So there's like Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final 4, and then Finals. So that's literally regionals for us. That's I have my first rounds, which is like the Sweet 16, quote-unquote, um, in terms of like, you know, comparing games to races. And so if I, you know, move on from that, then I race another round in Texas. And if I move on from that, then I go to Nationals um, in Oregon, where there's two more races, um, one semifinal and one final. Um, which, so that's four races total, um, left in this like NCAA tournament style, uh, track meet. So, um, we'll see. I'm excited. Um, haven't been to college station, Texas before. So that's Texas A&M. So it'll be a fun new opportunity to try to do something cool at regionals. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And those are really good times. That's really cool. And I give you, I give you guys props for doing that because I just, you know, I was a short sprinter. Those long races are something else. And you know, just to, you know, for people that don't understand track, you know, just getting under two minutes in an eight hundred meter, which is two laps around the track, is fucking incredible. Just to run like a four hundred meter under sixty seconds for a male, if it, if you're a female, that's really incredible. But just to run under like you know, sixty seconds for a male is like good that's not anything great but you know once you start getting under the 50 second you know the 50 second mark for a 400 meter dash you you're getting that elite level so to do that twice like you know to have a consistent like you know a 45 minute first lap or a 45 second first lap and a 45 second second lap is really fucking good so you know I don't think people understand like how fast you're actually running this race because it's almost damn near. It's not damn near a sprint, but to have this consistent like really fast speed around 800 meters, which is a half mile, is really fucking good. No, yeah, thank you, and I might check your math just a little bit just because I know the 800 so well. Yeah, yeah, check it because I don't usually. No, I was gonna say because I've never ran 46 or 45 seconds in the 400. If I could. I would be, you know, balling out in the 400 and that might be my event. But, um, so usually in like how my 800 races go is, uh, our first lap usually we come through in around like, you know, 51 seconds to like 54 seconds. And then we obviously have to run another lap. So then you're trying to finish, um, strong after that and run another like 50 something second, uh, 400. So it's, it's a grueling race. I mean, the 400 is hard. I mean, I'm sure you've raced the 400, and so, like, it's a hard event, and then imagine trying doing two of those, and that's the 800, and so, like, the 800 is a, it's a tough event, um, especially at the NCAA level, you know, any event at the NCAA level is just so crazy, especially this year, like, 
the Olympic trials are this year, which is super exciting, but that also has meant that a lot of people in the NCAA are trying to get those qualifying marks to potentially represent their um, country at the Olympics. So this year has brought out a lot of really good talent um, at the NCAA level in track and field. And so it's going to be a tough competition uh, at regionals this week, but it'll be pretty fun to be able to go and race as well. Heck yeah, that's awesome. I always applaud you guys because um, I was just born a short sprinter. I have all power. I have zero endurance. The way I got into track is, um, well, I started doing cross country like in elementary school and middle school. I ran like the mile. I ran the three mile. I never, never really ran anything above that, but I ran those like, you know, like once or twice a week. And then when I got into football and I played, you know, in middle school and high school, you know, you always have conditioning at the end of most practices. And we'd always do like suicides and like, you know, 100 yard dashes and shit. And I was always the first one to finish by a mile. So that's where my, you know, inspiration to become a short sprinter, my track career kind of began. I didn't even actually do track until freshman year of high school, you know. I never did it in middle school or elementary school, but once I did, like, you can just tell I had that knack for it because I was always the first in my heat up until I got to the very competitive level, level, like my senior year. And I've just loved it ever since. I could never imagine doing like an 800 or a mile. I bet I could, but I don't think it would be really good because you can tell with the 100, you know, I'm very fast in that. And then as you go down to the 200, like, you know, I'm still fast in that, but slightly slower. It's not consistent. And then when you get to the 400, it's even slower, you know? And it's... Yes. Yeah, and, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I love it. And I, you know, I've lived with roommates up at Western that ran the 800 and all this. And, you know, that's it's definitely props. That's the cool thing about track is that there's so many different things you can do. It's crazy to think that you can take this giant pole that's like, you know however many feet tall, like, I don't know how big the pole vaulting poles are, but it's crazy you can take this pole and it's competitive to jump over this string that's like 11 feet high. Or it's crazy that there's just this dirt mound and you can, you know, see how far you can jump. And it's, it's you know, that's the cool thing about track. It's, it's this community where it's not just only boys and girls, it's mixed together. And, you know, there's so many different events you can do. It's such a fun sport to do. And, you know, what's crazy about it is that, at least for me, you spend, you know, if I, if I had to give a ratio, it's like 10 to 1. 10 is the stretching part and the one's actually racing. When Whenever I am competing in a, and, you know, this is for everyone, regardless of what race you're running, you know, you stretch for like two to three hours and then you run, at least in my case, you run for 11 seconds. Like, that's usually how long the 100 meter dash is. 10 to 11 seconds and it's crazy to think that you get there you know two hours before to do all this stretching just to run such a short race you know right yeah yeah no I totally like I it's funny that you say that because like I, I definitely agree with you it's like I mean even if you consider it just training wise as well like you train so much and so hard for me like I train so much I put in all these miles I go on you know like 14 to 16 mile long runs and then I do all of these workouts throughout the week for a race that is less than two minutes exactly and you know what's crazy is that it's just a mind fuck it's it's really mental because you know it's all 
it's not necessarily about superstition, but it's about doing everything right because in your mind, you know, you have to do this and this right to get, you know, your best time, you know. That's why a lot of people go to the bathroom before the race because they want to be all light, you know, and they do the same stretches every time. They listen to the same songs, at least I do. You know, I, I throw on the music. I do the same stretches in the same order every time. And before I get into those blocks, I do the same pre-ritual stretches. And then I get into the blocks and then I get out of those blocks, run the race, and it's done. Yeah, and I mean, just comparing it to other sports too, I think, you know, I don't, you know, you work, people and athletes work hard in whatever sport you do and what, you know, and that's amazing. I think running is just, and track and field itself is just a really hard sport mentally because you do a lot, like, and really go through intensive training at the NCAA level, just like any other sport for, you know, races and events that are like, what like you know like minutes long seconds long exactly as opposed to like you know football games last what like two to three hours basketball games you know hour and a half two hours like you know it's 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 a hard it's a difficult sport mentally and that's why like track and field is such a sport of that kind of shows how strong mentally athletes can be because it's like we're putting ourselves to this crazy training to be the best athletes we can be for an event that only lasts like two minutes long or like, you know, free sprints, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, you know, whatever event you do. Um, it's pretty wild. And kind of going back to something that you had mentioned before, like track and field is also so amazing because there are so many different events you can do. Um, and that's something, you know, being at the NCAA division one level competing, like you get all of these people from different walks of life who come together to form a team because like a thrower is going to look a lot different than a cross country runner. And at least at Minnesota, like it was super cool because we were always like one big unit of a team. Um, and like the throwers were always like, you know, a little bit different in characteristics and like how they did things than obviously the cross country runners were. So you just get a lot of different like mixtures of people and same that goes with the sprints and jumps too. Like you just get a cool mixture of different identities, different backgrounds. Um, and so it's a fun sport to be part of, um, as an individual because you can run for yourself and you can put in the work by yourself and get, you know, success by yourself, but also as a team. Um, where you can also win team titles and, um, you know, form different relationships with people that you might not have in the normal world because uh, this, you know, this team and program have brought you together from different walks of life. So it's kind of cool. Well, you know, what still lingers in my mind a lot is I'll never forget this. This was two years ago. I was, you know, in the dining hall at my school and this this girl on the track team, she was getting into it with the football guys about which sport, like football or track, is it, which one's more mentally and physically tougher. And you, that just still lingers in the back of my mind because I try, again, I'm a rational man. And I'm like, and I played both. So I was, I'm like, well, which one is harder? I, long story short, I don't think they're, I don't think you can compare the two because they're just two different things because you know, she brought, you know, the football people brought up the argument like, well, well, you're putting your body on the line and, you know, it's just so physical and you can get hurt. And, you know, I was thinking you do that with track too. You know, you're not like hitting people, but, you know, you can very well pull something or, you know, there's times where you're running a race regardless of how short or long it is where your muscles are burning so much that you can't even stand up. It even hurts to sit down on your butt because, 
you know, your muscles, you know, they're just so inflamed from the race that you were running. And then, you know, the girl brought up like, well, like, you know, it's just a mental fuck for the sport. And, you know, I playing football, it's also a mental sport. You know, you're putting, you're putting your brain on the line, like, you know, going head to head and, you know, your two are wearing helmets and it's, it's just this whole thing where I just don't think it's something that you can compare. I think they are both equally and mentally very hard to do. And, you know, with, with track, it's a different mental type of thing, you know, like you got to have the right positive mindset. You got to, you got to know what you're doing and you got to, you know, you just got to be in that mindset with football. It's really, you don't have to have that mindset. You just got to have this mindset. Like you're going to go out there and you're going to fuck someone up or you're going to, you know, if you're on defense, yeah, you're going to go fuck someone up or if you're on offense, like you got to, you know, you just got to block this guy or you got to throw the ball, you know, at this, at this receiver at the perfect time in the perfect place. I just think, you know, mentally and physically it's different. Because, you know, football, they're breaking bones, but we're pulling muscles. It's 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 a whole, it's so unified, but different at the same time, you know? Um, yeah, it's definitely interesting because it, I do agree with you. Like, I don't think it's very comparable and we shouldn't be like necessarily like making those comparisons. However, like, I definitely feel like, you know, each sport has areas and ways that in which that they push their bodies in different ways and like what's interesting about football and well with a lot of contact sports is like um you can't really control exactly what someone else is going to do so obviously you can't control like how someone's going to tackle you whether it's going to be a say like a, I don't know a lot of football terms but like you know whether it's going to be like a bad hit or like an illegal hit or whatever like there's there's another factor to that um in track there's a little bit less of that but i will say that you know there should be mutual respect that goes on between sports and i don't know if we necessarily see that all the time um because runners and people like when it comes to like running and track like people can push themselves as hard as they want to individually because it's kind of like a very individual sport and um I think, I mean, it could, it's the same, honestly, with a lot of different sports you can put, you can choose to put in the time or you can choose not to. And so there should just be a lot more respect among sports as opposed to people trying to compare, even though I just compared the two sports or whatever. Well, I mean, Um, I started it. So, but that's just because, you know, we live in this time where we compare everything, you know, we compare Marvel and DC TV to movies, you know. Football to track. It's, it's, you know, we love comparing shit. That's what we love to do as a species. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. And it's, and it's like, there are good comparisons. There's bad comparisons. I mean, it's just, you know, I, all I'm saying at the end of the day, like, you know, with the football players, because I mean, there was that, you know, kind of weird thing at Minnesota too, where it's like, I would have conversations with like runners and be like, Oh, could you imagine like a football player trying to run like 16 miles? Like, ha ha ha. And then it's like, yeah, no, they probably couldn't. Like they'd probably die doing it. But then also like, I know for a fact that I would die like getting laid out by some linemen on the football field. Like I just think I, there's like a mutual respect, at least for, um, from my side, like I respect what they're doing. I hope they're respecting what I'm doing and we can support each other in the fact that our sports are hard competing at the division one level is tough it's tough and it's not easy and so there you know I, I that's all i hope is like you know we all can mutually respect each other in that way right but, so walk me through what you're thinking during the 800 race or the 1500 because so for me 
you know, you know, even when it's indoor and we do the 60 meter, the race is seven seconds, man. And, you know, for the hundred, it's 11 seconds for the 200. It's 22 seconds. It's such a short race. You barely have any time to think. The only thing I ever think about is like, okay, just try to get like, you know, in sync with your body. Make sure you're moving your legs as fast as you can. Like it's so, it's the most simplistic mindset you have. But I mean, it's not like I'm thinking about, you know, what I'm going to have for dinner while I'm running, you know, spring as fast as I can. It's more just, okay, you got to have this. I'm, I'm, you know, a hard worker mindset and I'm going to run as fast as I can. But I don't know. I've never ran track in high school or college where I ran over a 400 meter race. It's so what's it like when you're running the 800 and the 1500? What are you thinking about? Cause there's more time for your mind to digest things. Yeah, no, like exactly what you said at the end there. It's more, the longer the race gets, obviously the more time you have to be more self-aware of how your body's feeling and how, you know, things are going, um, which can make it harder on some people. Like some people are very good at running the long distances because they are mentally tough and they're like, I can withstand this amount of pain for this amount of time. And so, um, and their body can physically do that. Uh, for me, you know, the 800 has become an event where I kind of, it's become short enough for me where I'm just like, go, 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 like no time to think. Um, basically what I go, what, what I, I'll take you through my kind of mindset before the race, I'm usually nervous as hell. And I'm just like, okay, trying to hype myself up a little bit. And then I try to get out as fast as I can for that first 100 meters to get a good position in the race. And then I kind of wait for the opportunity or, you know, for my mind to be like, okay, like this is when I want to make my move in terms of like setting myself up in the race to win it or to run a fast time. Um, I kind of wait for that instinctual runner running moment for myself of, okay, this is when I'm going to make my move to win, or this is when I'm going to make my move to try to make sure that I'm going to run a fast time. Um, with the 800, there's less time to do that. I mean, it's only, I'll be only running, you know, anywhere from like one to like under two minutes. So it's not that long of a time period. But with the 1500, um, for the majority of the race, I'm just like, okay, hang on as long as I can and withstand the pain as long as I can. And then, you know, the last quarter of the race or the last, you know, 200 of the race, it's like, just try to outkick these people and, for the most part, it's just me trying to stay calm within a race. I think the worst thing you can do is get worked up and then blow up and then kind of lose yourself, like lose it mentally before you do physically. I think that's the worst thing you can do because it's a very much a cliche kind of running term where it's like your body can push a lot harder than your mind thinks it can. You know, there's like this thing, at least in distance running, where they're like, your body can withstand more pain than your brain is allowing you to think. And that's how like these great distance runners become great distance runners because they are able to withstand and tolerate pain for a longer period of time so that they're running faster for, you know, however long that they're racing. So for the most part, I try to keep myself calm and mentally checked into the race and try to not be aware of what's going on, <clears throat> excuse me, pain-wise during the race. And um, kind of just run on adrenaline too. Like I try to just let, you know, my instincts um, lead me as well. I After racing 
quite a few times in college now. I've gained a lot of experience in college races, and so by saying I'm allowing my instinct, I'm saying I've just, to take over, I'm just allowing my race experience to help guide me through the race, if that makes sense. No, that does. Are you allowed to, like, look at, well, yeah, do you, like, look at your watch a lot, like, to pace yourself, or... Um, you're allowed to have a watch. I usually don't. I think a lot of, I mean, my coach doesn't want me to wear a watch. There's usually like a clock by, you know, the finish line or somewhere that can tell us what pace we're going. Um, or coaches will yell out paces. Um, but for the most part, coaches don't want their athletes to be worrying about a watch. They want them to be in the moment in the race, ready to, you know, make a move or ready to, you know, start their kick or whatever they need to do to make sure that they can be the most successful um, runner in that race. Yeah. I figure, cause I feel like that's something that can slow you down, not by a lot, but there's definitely like that, you know, that small, very small fraction that can slow you down just by, you know, you know, you're, you're turning that wrist and you're looking at your watch and, you know, you're running and it's not like stable. So you got to like look at it more. I feel like it's definitely like a downgrade, which is something I always saw in high school and I'm like, weird but i mean i don't know yeah it's high school the funny thing about the short races is you don't look at the clocks man you don't know if you're on pace or not the way to pace yourself well you don't pace yourself but the way to know if you're gonna have a good race or not i mean it's it's pretty simple it's it honestly depends on how far you're in front of someone or there's always going to be someone better than you it's not like i win the race every time it depends on how far you're behind the next person you know you, I mean, if, right. if you ever look at the clock, because there's always that clock at the finish line, if you ever look at it, you're fucked. Like, I mean, you're not going to... You lose, like, seriously, like, zero tenths of a second, but that's so much time in the 100-yard dash, and or the 100-meter dash, and I say that so many times to people, where, um, you know, whenever you knock off, like, you know, a tenth of a second, that's seriously like knocking off a minute in the mile, you know? Since the race is just so condensed, that's just kind of how timing works. Yeah, no, it is very relative to the um, race that you're racing. And like you said, I mean, you know, a tenth of a second in any sprint is going to be major. And, um, you know, with distance running, I mean, I think... The longer the distance, the less of a factor your watch plays if you're trying to look at it. But I would definitely say for the 800 and mile, um, there's the race is going fast enough, and moves can be made during the race fast enough to where uh, looking or trying to figure out what's going on on your watch could be detrimental to you winning a race or not. So, and I mean even 800 meter, I mean that point one seconds no matter what race you're in can be the determining factor of when, what, if you lose or not, if you're, you know, if the race is that close with someone. So you just want to limit the distractions that you can limit from the outside uh, world or outside of the race so that you can just focus on what you need to do in the moment. Right. So a big thing in track is the recovery process. It's probably the most important, you know, obviously stretching before that's, it's a big deal, but you know, with track, it doesn't matter if it's a meet or if it's practice. You're putting a lot of fucking strain and, you know, pressure on your body. And the biggest thing in track is always the recovery process. So, with, like, what do you do to recover to make sure you don't, like, pull something or you're not sore for practice the next day? How does that work? 
Yeah, I mean, it's recovery is huge in any sport because, you know, like any sport at the Division One level, and especially with how coaches coach nowadays, basically training Olympians, you know, with an NCAA, like you're, the NCAA is just developing Olympians to, you know, go and do that sport at the next level pretty much, you know. So recovery is very key, and um, our workouts are very intense. So like you said, like in order for us to be successful in workouts and races, we need to be recovering. And for me, you know... It looks like, I mean, I stretch a lot. I have a foam roller. I roll out my legs. I massage them. I stretch and I, you know, I drink protein shakes, recovery shakes. Um, I do ice baths, um, contrast, which is something I like to do, which is going into the ice bath and then into like a hot tub and then, you know, keep going back and forth for a couple times, um, every so often, um, Getting a lot of good sleep is kind of a major, you know, no-brainer. Um, I don't think people realize how much sleep actually affects, you know, your performance. Um, it's probably one of the most important things, as, as well as, like, how you feel your body in terms of what kind of food you're intaking um, and putting into your body because that's what, you know, you're using to fuel yourself and to fuel your workouts. So all of those things are very, very crucial to having an optimal um, to, you know, performing, um, especially at the division one level where, you know, sleeping, getting really good sleep and not really good, getting really good sleep can mean a whole lot of it can be a major difference, whether I'm going to be a conference champion or, you know, not even move on to finals. So it's, it's recovery is a very, very big part of being, a uh, an athlete. Oh, it so is. And yeah, sleep, sleep and diet is most definitely the most important thing. You can run, you can train, you can do all you want. But at the end of the day, if you're not getting, I think sleep would probably be more important than diet. If you ask me, I don't know. I'm a moron. It's not like I have that statistic, but I'm, I feel confident in saying something like that because sleep, it's just so freaking important. That's where your body, you know, it gets rid of all, you know, that inflammatory tissue and all this and that. And it, you know, your body just, it gets rid of all the unnecessarily thing that, all the necessary things that you put on your body that day from track, which is a lot of stuff, you know? And then if you're not eating right, you know, it's, that's not going to be the worst thing, but it's definitely not going to help, you know? I, if you combine diet and sleep with, you know, the most optimal way you're doing it, it's definitely, that's where you're going to see the most improvement, you know? Yeah, and I mean... It's, 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 it's huge for your body to, I mean, obviously, like, I think a misconception about, like, running and sports in general is, like, you know, saying, like, oh, absolutely, like, you know, no, like, no pop, no, like, I mean, I've had coaches in the past where they're, like, okay, for the season, we're giving up, like, soda, and we're giving up, like, candy, we're giving up, like, whatever, you know, any sweets, um, I don't necessarily agree with that. I feel like anything in moderation is good for your body to a certain extent. Um, that being said, like sleep is obviously you need it. But in terms of like diet, I'm like, you know, I still eat kind of for the most part, whatever I want. Um, I don't count calories or anything like that. Um, but I do make sure that, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to McDonald's every single night or I'm not going to some other fast food restaurant every single night. Um, 
to feel my body because that wouldn't be like healthy or helpful for my training. But I also don't steer away from like having a Pepsi every once in a while or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so how do you, so obviously you're in college, you're around a lot of drugs, alcohol, weed, this and that. Um, how do you, do you, do you just quit that out completely? Do you balance it in a sense? Or like, how does that work with competing at a D1 level, being around all these drugs and alcohol and all, all this and that? I would, it's just funny how you say that. Cause I definitely like myself in this house and where I, you know, where I am, I'm not like always, like I'm not surrounded by like all the, these drugs or anything like that. I won't say that. Cause it's just like not true. And I, I have no problem with people doing drugs, like whatever. Um, but you know, there, I mean, there is an aspect of college where part of college is going out with friends and, um, that, you know, that social aspect of like going to a college party or like even, you know, within sports, we'll have like our sports parties or whatever like that. Um, and I think it's like anything else, you just have to balance, um, find that balance for you where you are feeling like you're, you're most, um, healthy and true authentic self. Like, you know, I'll say when I went to Minnesota, um, I had never drank or done anything like that in college, but once I'd gone to Minnesota, I, you know, partied for the first time, drank alcohol for the first time. Um, and so like anything else in your life, you have to do things in moderation or not overindulge in one aspect or another. I will say like, I feel like I've done a really good job during my time in college of having a really great balance of having a social life an athletic life and doing well in academics. Um, will I say that I make sacrifices in certain areas for certain things? Yes. Um, but I don't regret those sacrifices or choosing one aspect over another in certain instances. Um, I just say like, as for, for advice for people trying to balance those things, um, make a decision, you know, that's going to, improve your I guess mental health or you know do something that makes you happy I guess like do what you feel is going to make you happy or most successful or is helping you further yourself um the best way that you can because I mean that's what life is like why would you want to live a life where you're not enjoying exactly most of your moments and I'm not going to take away anyone's moments by saying something about my opinion or whatever but like I also you know like I've I like to go out and have fun with my friends. I love running track and field and I want to be successful in that. I want to be successful in the classroom. So that means that I'm going to have to make certain sacrifices in certain areas of, you know, either athletics, academics, or my social life to ensure that like I am happy and I'm doing what I want to do um, to, I guess, I don't know, just live my happy, authentic life that I'm living. Right. I think sacrifice and moderation is key to being like your next level athlete. Like a thing at Western, I'm not trashing Western. I'm just pointing out like facts and stuff. But I mean, there was a lot of people on the track team and even I'm included. So it's not like I'm like this self-righteous asshole. Cause I was definitely one of those people, you know, like we just kind of, we kind of, we, we drank a lot, we smoked a lot and there was a lot of people, you know, vaping and stuff. And, I mean, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't care if you drink or smoke or vape. I don't give a shit. But I do think if you are running track, you got to learn how to sacrifice some of those things. Not all of it, but yeah, like, I don't think you have to give it up completely. 
but I think you have to do it a little bit in moderation, you know, like you, I mean, if you're drinking or smoking every day or this and that, I just don't think you're going to be that next level athlete. And I, and I think I'm quoting my coach on that because, you know, she was aware of like all the stuff that was going on and, you know, it's not like she was mad. She's like, it's up to you on what kind of athlete you want to be, you know, track is, that's another hard thing about track. Like, you know, you really do got to take care of your body, you know, and it's not like it's terrible to, you know, drink or smoke or vape, like, you know, on the weekends or something. But if you're doing it like every day, you know, I just don't think you can be that next level athlete, you know, unless you got great genes, like it's also possible to just have those genes, you know? Oh, completely. I think what you said kind of, um, was spot on. Um, I don't know if that was a quote from your coach or you saying it, but like, you know, you have to decide kind of what athlete you want to be. And people have to decide what kind of just person in general they want to be. Because I believe that, like, you know, your actions and your choices and what you choose to do with your life and whatever obviously speaks to the kind of person you are. Also, it kind of shows what priorities that you have. And so, you know, whether if it's, if it's someone who's a walk-on at a program and they enjoy going out and having fun smoking, drinking on the weekends or on weeknights, it kind of just shows where someone's priorities at, what they're choosing to do with their life, um, which no one's saying that that's right or wrong. But like you right. said, you have to choose kind of what athlete you want to be. Um, and some people might feel satisfied are satisfied with that you know if people people are satisfied with you know doing whatever they want to do and then that's fine if they're happy and they're mentally okay and they're everything in their life is perfectly fine according to them them, then there's nothing wrong with that and that's kind of how I feel um when I'm you know meeting other people or you know even when I look at my life I'm just like okay like I'm doing what I need to do to be happy and um you know, so that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, it goes back to what you said. If you're not happy, you know, just straight edging everything and, you know, you're not seeing any progress, like, yeah, like there's, you know, there's no point. You know, I think, I, I, I think you should just be happy with what you do, you know? Right. And I think there are obviously so many talented people out there and I know a lot of them. And I mean, I, like even in high school, like I knew a lot of people who were extremely gifted talent and talented in sports and whatever they're doing or running and they chose to go a different direction in their life. And that's completely okay. Like all you need to do in this life is to find enjoyment in what you're doing and live your life to the fullest, whatever that means for you. And so I don't want to be out here, you know, getting judged for what I do and what I'm you know, I mean, like, people can judge me, but, like, I'm all, I, that's how I see things. I'm like, okay, like, I'm not going to judge Joe over here who decided to quit the track team, even though I know he's really talented because he had other priorities he wanted to do. Like, I'm like, okay, that person can go live their life, and they're doing something that they're happy doing. They probably weren't happy running track, and they were finding it miserable, maybe. And so all I hope for that person is that they're going to be living a life that they're proud of and that they find, you know, the most fulfillment and if that makes sense. No, it does. And it just, you know, goes back to what you said where, you know, we're just, we're always just too quick to judge. We don't have any like tolerance, you know, regardless of someone, you know, quit the track team or they did this and that, you know, like who cares if they're doing what they love? Like, you know, it's, it's, it's not a cult where if you join the team, you got to stay on the team or, you know, you can apply that to any life, you know, you don't have to stay with the job. 
a job that you got just because you applied for it and you got it, you know? Yeah, and, like, like I told you before and, like, I've told other people, I, I have so many, like, I have... I have a diverse, like, set of friends just from, like, the areas that I've grown up in and, like, places I've gone and met people. And the only thing I judge people on and will make decisions of whether or not I'm going to um, continue being a part of that person's life or not is how, you know, that person's treating me and how they're treating other people. Yeah. So that's how I judge, you know, personal character and who you are as a person. Like I could give an F if you love country music or if you go hunting on the weekends, like those are two things that I don't find enjoyment in. Like I don't, I don't just go out hunting on the weekends. I'm, I don't know. I just pulled that as an example because I grew up with a lot of hunters and I did take hunter safety because I wanted to fit in. Um, but it's something that I don't find enjoyment in but that doesn't mean I'm gonna judge you or people should judge me because I don't enjoy hunting like I judge people based off of how they treat others and how they treat me and as long as there's respect there and you know people try to understand one another and uh you know try to limit the amount of judgment and bias they have then I feel like you know I I, I that's how I approach it Right. And I feel like it's, it's it, for me, it's been very healthy and it's also allowed me to have more friends and create less enemies. I'll just say that. Sure. Sure. Well, the thing I wanted to say earlier is that track is just, it's just one of those sports where you do have to like be in shape, you know, like there's definitely sports out there and I like to say golf and bowling, you don't have to be in shape at all. You can be, you know, obese, overweight. You can still swing that golf club. You can go throw that, you know, you can throw that ball down the bowling alley and throw those pins you know tracks just you know just one of those special sports which is what i like about it where you just you know it kind of forces your body to be in shape you know that's what i like about it and you know there's this there's this thing that i wanted to touch on is with genetics i really do think you know and this isn't in most cases but or maybe it is but it yeah it's not in all cases but i do feel like with in most cases with track, depending on how good you are, really does have to do with genetics. Like sometimes your body and your mind, just the way it synchronizes, it can cause you to run fast. Or maybe you just have those genetics from your parents. Like for instance, my dad, he was a top runner at CU. He ran like a mile, in like four point, you know, or four minutes and 30 seconds or something like that, which is really good. That's kind of where I got my, you know, track skills from. That's where I got my quickness from. I feel like there's a lot that has to do with genetics. Not all, because there are some that start from the bottom. They have just nothing. Like, you know, they weren't fast, and then they were. But I do feel like there is a huge genetic factor, especially when it comes to track. Like, DK Metcalf, who's a fucking receiver for the Seattle Seahawks, the guy is a freaking machine. He's a motherfucking tank. He's, I think he's 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six, six. He weighs like 230 pounds. He's got like a washboard of an APAC. The guy's like, he's a freaking monster, man. He is huge as, I wish I could show you a picture. He's fucking huge. And he ran a 10, a 10.3600 the other day. That's not possible. If you're a weightlifter and you're big as shit, more likely you're giving up the speed, right? Hell no. DK Metcalf has all of it. He has, he seriously looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but you know, he seriously looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He looks like the Terminator. He's freaking yoked, and he can also run fast as fuck. There's just there's a genetic factor that plays into it with, you know, some people that run track. You know. 
Well, and yeah, and like like you said, there. I mean, this is where we get into that whole debate that we've been having for you know however long we've been taking science courses, which is the whole thing of nature versus nurture, and figuring out like what is it is it due to biological you know reasoning that like oh this person is super good at the sport or is it because they've been practicing and they obviously put in all these hours and times and recovery like they make the sport their entire life um you know another great example of someone who is just biologically gifted is like michael phelps and um he i mean a lot of people have said you know that watch are are very like um into swimming that he is like genetically like one of the like perfect people to like swim because he has like the limbs and the hands. I I, I don't know a lot about like, you know, swimming and stuff like that. Um, but I've just heard he, you know, genetically he is like pretty much perfect to swim and he has the perfect body to swim. And like, it's the same thing like you can make, you know, with like volleyball and like basketball, like, you know, some people are just taller than other people and some people are going to have an easier time dunking a ball. And so it's, it is interesting. Um, I definitely think I do think that genetic factors are very helpful, but sure. are less important than the amount of training and mental toughness that it takes to be a very high level athlete like that. I would say nature is an nature could be a critical role in determining whether or not this person's going to be a really good NCAA athlete as opposed to a professional athlete. But I think in terms of like just work ethic, I mean, pro athletes don't get to be pro athletes because they decide to wake up and just, you know, shoot a ball or throw a ball. I mean, these people are putting the time and effort and making their entire lives about that sport, which is literally the ultimate sacrifice, you know, for that sport. And it's very impressive um, and it's, you know, it, we get to, you know, as viewers and spectators, we get to see them, you know, compete and be the highest form of athlete, of athletes that we have. Um, so it's really cool to watch and see, but, you know, I think a lot of times people don't really realize how much time and energy these individuals put into their sport and how much that they sacrifice for the sport. Well, that's the interesting about sports, right? And just about humans, period you know, there is a nature factor into it, but, you know, there's also those people that just have the more hard work and dedication that are striving over the people that have that genetic factor, you know, like, you know, the common thing that we always see in track is like, oh, you know, he has long legs. That's why he's fast, you know, like that's obviously, that's obviously a genetic thing that is good for them. But sometimes you see the guy that's only five, five and, you know, he's faster than, you know, the guy that's six, four, you know, it's, it's just so interesting because, you know, it goes back to what I said where every human is just different in all shape and sizes. And it's interesting to see them all compete for one thing and to see this unity of compliance and competition. And it's it's just something beautiful, if you ask me. Totally. And I, I think that's something beautiful about track and field. Um like I said before, you know, well, it's something that I didn't really get into, but our athletic department at Minnesota had planned to cut our track and field program, and that was the major reason why I transferred in the first place. Um, but a huge argument that we, myself, and other teammates made to the athletic department to try to reinstate our program was that our like track and field, like brings in so much diversity in terms of 
different people's backgrounds, races, ethnicities, sexual orientation. Like, you know, there's so much diversity in track and field because you kind of have to ask for diversity anyway because, like, there are so many different events that people can excel in. And track and field is a very also, like, cheap sport economically speaking. And so, like, you just – you really get to see – it's a really cool sport to see, like, a bunch of different athletes from different backgrounds coming together and competing no matter what your socioeconomic status is, no matter your – you know, race, religion, gender, sexuality, identity that you have. Um, it's a very, it can be a very inclusive sport if you have, you know, people within your program and community that are, you know, not being exclusionary um, to that specific sport. Right. It's crazy. So. One thing I do. I mean, I don't mind about, you know, nature versus nurture, you know. Mm-hmm. I just do remember this one, uh, my teacher from psychology saying that, you know, you can train as hard as Michael Jordan, but you'll never be him, you know? <laughs> and it's just so funny because there's definitely people out there like that. But I mean, we, I just love looking at the underdogs and I love looking at, you know, again, I just love what you do. You, you know, regardless of your sexuality and this and that, you're, you're putting in all this effort and, you know, you're, you're, you're seeing the results and you're not letting, you know, your sexuality, you know, tied to these norms or stereotypes in society. And I just, I fucking love that. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. I think like, yeah, a big reason I wanted to go so public in, uh, in Montana as well as, you know, like, I think people never really in Montana, there were no openly out like athletes in Montana so like it's definitely breaking down the whole thing is breaking down these stereotypes that have been set up and in place because these stereotypes just hold communities and hold individuals back in terms of you know they they label people and already put them in a box and they don't allow people to grow as individuals and as a person outside of that you know because I I have a lot of I have different identities I'm gay I am a runner I am you know I grew up in Montana I am white I am also Christian I have a lot of different um identities that make me who I am and by people just labeling me as a runner or just labeling me as a gay person it limits a view of me or a perception of me to just one identity, if that makes sense. So like, you know, if someone's like, Oh, this is my gay friend or like they only see me as that, then it's like, well, if you only see me as someone who is gay, you're missing a lot of different sides of me and a lot of, um, cool aspects of me, um, that, you know, I would love to share with people. I'm, I'm a very, I have a lot of different interests and sometimes it surprises people, on what my interests are. And so like, I think a lot of people have a lot of different interests. I think you probably have a lot of different interests and things that you're, um, you find fascinating and that you enjoy doing. And why would you want to be labeled as one thing so that people, you know, could see you just as this one thing and not think of you as a kind of fully realized person that has a lot of different experiences and interests. Exactly. You know, I got, I wear many, I wear many hats, you know, I have a podcast. I, I love to talk to people. I'm a jock. I'm a nerd. I love cars. I love lifting. There's, I'm seriously, I have so many hats 
And it's not like I've experienced people where they only look at one thing. Well, I have, but it's really nothing bad, you know. It just goes back to, you know, I lift a lot. I've, you know, when I I started lifting in eighth grade, so I've been lifting ever since then. It's just, it's been a lifestyle for me, but I'm not that gym rat that only talks about lifting outside of the gym, you know. I barely even talk about the gym, but some people just want, you know, when you when you send that selfie that you're at the gym or whatever, it's not like it's a it's not like it's a, you know, a full body pic. It's literally just like, you know, you can tell I'm at the gym and then, you know, some people just like to label like, so, uh, you're a gym rat, huh? And I'm like, well, no, I'm just, it's just a hobby, you know? And, you know, going back to what you said, you know, we're just so, we're just so quick to label people and then we don't want to look any further, especially with the homosexuality card. Like, you know, someone sees that someone's gay and they're like, oh, nothing else, you know? That here she has no other interests, like, you know, here she's gay, that's it, we're done, you know? It's it's something that's really sad because, you know, it's something that happens on dating sites too. Like, you know, a common thing I see on Tinder is like, you know, if you're if you voted for Trump or if you voted for Biden, swipe left. And I just don't understand that. Like, what if I was the love of your life, but you know, you're too, you know, condensed in your bubble with politics or religion or you know sexuality that you don't even want to give someone a chance no and that's exactly how i view things like i mean like that's exactly where i'm coming from too because i i mean i have like i said i have a lot of friends with different backgrounds i have a lot of friends who are republican i have a lot of friends who are very left-leaning liberals um i have you know i i'm able to not try to not make those snapshot judgments and be like oh, you're a Republican, so you, that must mean that you are like this. Oh, you're gay, that must mean that you are like this, you know? I think that that is just dangerous, and um, it's not giving that person um, the opportunity to let them show you who they are. Like, that's why I usually try to let people show me who they are first, um before I make a decision about who they are. And like, if that's, you know, if the first thing they tell me is something like nasty about me and they try to like harm me in whatever way, then I'm like, okay, well, clearly they feel a certain type of way because I'm gay or because whatever. Um, so I don't have to engage with that. But, um, you know, I always try to give people the benefit of the doubt to a certain extent um, before making a snapshot judgment of them. Well, I think that's, and first of all, I love that. That's so awesome. Cause I hate to say it, but when I say this, that's, it's true. That's hard to come by. You know, we're just, we live in this judgmental world where, you know, we make snapshot judgments and then we're done. I, I really hope, you know, for people listening, if you are like, like this, I hope like you kind of, I hope you kind of just like somehow, or some way, like, at least find a way to make a change, you know, because, I mean, I think you and me are alike in a lot of ways where, you know, we don't make snapshot judgments, we give people the benefit of the doubt, and, you know, I just, I don't know, I don't, I always talk to people regardless of, you know, what they possibly could be, because I love, I love people, I love what they have to say, and they're just so interesting to me. No, totally, and if we had more people who were more open-minded in terms of trying to understand individuals and, you know, different communities, I think we would have a lot less um, problems than we do now in terms of, like, social justice um, issues in our country. 
Um, cause obviously we have a lot of social justice problems. Um, and I think a lot of that is due to people just being so ingrained in their own thoughts and ways of thinking and stereotypes and stuff like that. So if people could be more open-minded, which is very cliche, but if they could in trying to understand, you know, other people that they're different from, we would be, um, hopefully in a better, uh, better place. Right. I mean, that's what we all hope for, right? Yeah. Hopefully one day, you know, we can keep making, um, strides to improve, uh, this country in terms of social justice matters and everything else. So, right. Well, shit, dude, we are almost at the two hour mark. Can you believe that? Okay. That <laughs> yeah. Was, it's been, uh, that went by fast. Been, uh, quite a long time. Yeah, it did. Right. Well, sweet, dude. Thanks for talking with me. Uh, tell people like maybe your Instagram or Snapchat or maybe if where you're running, if they want to come watch you or just tell them anything. Totally. Yeah, no, I definitely will. Um, I've, it's been a pleasure talking with you and um, allowing you to have me on here. Like you said before, it was uh, I definitely wanted to do it because I love talking about things like this and um, different experiences. I'm like you in that way where I like to talk to different people. Um I would have also preferred to do this in person, but like you, I've also been traveling quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and just like, I'm always in a car, it seems like. So kind of figuring out a time to meet up was a little bit hard, but I'm glad we were able to. So yeah, same here. This was really fun. I had a great time, man. Cool. Alrighty. Sweet. Well, thanks dude. Thanks for talking with me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Alrighty. Goodbye everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of Under the Sun. If you enjoyed today's episode, subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review to help spread the word. You can also follow Evan for more cool content on Instagram at evan.dixon.22. Until then, we'll see you under the sun. Peace!